Welcome to Black Sparrow Radio, KBSR, transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Well, hi there, plant friends. Welcome to Plow and Hose. Thank you for joining me out here in my backyard in the Plow and Hose studio. Right now, it is a little bit chilly outside, kind of on the brisk side, but that's okay. I mean, it is November and a few chilly days are expected. It's a little weird. It's kind of balmy and pleasant during the days, but then it kind of cools off in the evenings and, I don't know, it's just weird. I mean, Central Texas weather is nuts. I I don't know who can keep up with it. I mean, not me, but for real, I really can't complain. I mean, yes, of course I could complain, but what's the point? Anyway... I have had trees on my mind this week. Um, For one thing, we went to Arkansas this past week to visit our oldest daughter at college. She's a sophomore at the University of Arkansas in Northwest Arkansas. And we lucked out. We hit peak color changing season because it was absolutely beautiful there all the leaves were changing and it was just absolutely magnificent we saw all the colors reds yellows burgundies browns greens i mean from all the different types of trees maples sycamores oaks pines dogwood ginkgo sumac hickory you name it i probably saw it And they were all just so colorful and really, really amazing. And since we got back to Central Texas, I've started paying attention to the trees around town. Most of the, mostly sticking to the ones on my drive to work and back. But I have started to notice some of the leaves are starting to change colors this week. So not a whole lot right now not like it was in northwest arkansas but they are starting to change and here pretty soon it should get pretty colorful now even though we don't get the super spectacular fall foliage like they get in new england and other places if you pay attention you will notice some nice fall color changes around Taylor and Central Texas. Leaves start to change color as the temperature cools down and the days get shorter. The green chlorophyll in the leaves, it starts to fade as the tree starts to go into dormancy for the winter. As the green dissipates and other colors are able to start showing through, it's really, really cool. Um, you, you don't really think about um, leaves being any other color, but um, 
the other colors are actually present there too. So like orange and yellow pigments, they are always in leaves. But the dark green chlorophyll mask out a lot of the other pigments. So that dark green just kind of covers, covers them up. Leaves look orange and yellow because of carotenoid pigments like carotene which of course gives carrots their orange color these pigments help absorb light and promote photosynthesis but plants that have leaves that turn red in the fall they're a little bit different and that's because some of the plants um, are able to make new pigments as the temperature drops plants like maples and red oaks and sumac and some of the other ones they all can make anthocyanins and those are the pigments responsible for making those wonderful bright red colors trees are pretty cool because they seem to go out of their way to make the red red pigments and they, they've got to have a reason for putting that much energy into doing that. And it's not exactly clear why. But one theory is that anthocyanins work like sunscreen. When chlorophyll starts to break down, leaves become more vulnerable to the sun's harsh rays. And we got those here in Central Texas. These trees that turn red protect um, protect themselves from the sun damage by turning red which allows them to continue to absorb nutrients from the dying leaves so that they can stay healthy throughout the winter the more anthocyanins a plant produces the more red the leaves become and that pigment production can vary from year to year some years they be more um, they may be more colorful than other years, but then, you know, there's also like stressful conditions like drought and unexpected cold temperatures that can make leaves more red. If the weather has been like rainy and overcast, the trees don't need the extra protection from the sun. So they don't need to produce as much anthocyanins. And as a result, they aren't quite as vivid. Have you ever noticed that some trees kind of look more burgundy than like bright, vibrant red? The rich burgundy color happens when chlorophyll doesn't degrade um, as quickly. So some of the dark green chlorophyll is still present when the anthocyanins are produced. Red mixed with the green pigment will make the leaves look burgundy and almost purple. If you are a big fan of rich burgundy and purple fall leaves and you want to add these trees to your yard, you might want to try Bradford pear, sweet gum, or Texas red oak. They all have the potential to get that nice dark purpley maroon burgundy color. Now, I'm going to tell you about this one tree. It gives a spectacular fall color show. 
consistently year after year and it does really really well in our area it likes it so much around texas that it's made its way onto the texas invasive species list and that tree is the chinese tallow they are beautiful in the fall but they're also problematic um, back in 2011, the Texas Invasive Species Institute was formed to help raise awareness and respond and reduce the impact of non-native invasive species across Texas. This group is a collaboration of academic researchers, and it's a partnership between state and federal agencies and also conservation groups. As you know, Texas is a giant and huge state and it has an incredibly diverse ecology. What we have here in Central Texas you won't find in North Texas or you might not find in East Texas and West Texas has completely different things than we have here in Taylor. The Texas Invasive Species Institute focuses on early detection of invasive species before they have an impact on Texas ecosystems or have a chance to cause major economic issues like crop failures or whatnot. The Texas Invasive Species Institute researches and tracks insects and animals, plants, and even little pathogens, all those little germs and whatnot. The um, Texas Invasive Species Institute maintains a list of all non-native species that threaten ecosystems in Texas. Our state is actually really susceptible to invasive species because we have all these really extensive waterways. We have multiple international ports and we've got this major trekking route and you know from north texas all the way down to south texas and then also uh, across east to west and then of course we have like a big giant long border with mexico so there's lots of opportunities for species to travel they can use their usual usual means to move through the waterways or you know, they just fly or walk across um, as they migrate throughout the state. But the invasive species can also hitch rides on boats, in produce, in cargo trailers, and also in packages. Wherever they end up, they can ruin crops, they can clog lakes and rivers, and always they always end up crowding out native species. Now here in Central Texas, we hear a whole lot about a handful of invasive species. Anytime you turn on the news, there's usually something about feral pigs or zebra mussels and bastard cabbage. Those three always seem to make the news, but the Texas Invasive Species Institute tracks hundreds and hundreds of plants, insects, and animals, and pathogens. If you go over to texasinvasives.org, 
you can see all the invasive species listed in their database. And it's really interesting to see what's on the list and where they're causing problems and what you can do about them. Um, I have to admit, I do spend way too much time looking at the invasive plant list and trying to learn all about the jerk plants being jerks and wreaking havoc here in Texas. It really is an excellent website, so I hope you'll go out and check out www.texasinvasives.org. Chinese tallow with their colorful fall leaves. They are one of those invasive plants, and even though they can be a beautiful tree, it really is a jerk plant, and it deserves to be on the list. Chinese tallow puts out lovely shaped leaves with really interesting catkins and little tiny fruits. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, they have the really pretty fall colors and they do grow fast and because of that, it makes them a favorite with homeowners and landscape companies who want to put in fast growing trees. Chinese tallow trees have been in the United States for a really, really long time. They were originally brought from China and planted because they're really pretty. They're very, very ornamental. Chinese tallow trees get to be about 20 feet tall, but they can also grow um, twice that much. They can get up to 50 feet tall. The flowers bloom on drapey catkins, and those attract bees and other pollinators. The little fruits will ripen between August and about now, here in November. I don't know, I kind of feel like that made them sound really great. Um, But other than being an attractive tree that the bees love, it's really a pretty useless plant. The little fruits and the leaves are toxic to cattle and if you were to eat one, they could cause severe nausea and vomiting in people. They can also make little kids pretty sick, so not the best tree to have around. If that doesn't convince you, um, maybe a little bit more info will. Chinese tallow trees are very drought tolerant and they happen to have a very deep taproot and because of this they can quickly outcompete the native trees by sucking up all the water and the soil nutrients because Chinese tallow doesn't really need much water to grow fast native species do tend to get crowded out quickly Since being introduced in Texas, Chinese tallow has actually displaced several native plants, so not the best tree to add to your yard. One Chinese tallow tree can produce 100,000 seeds, and of course, the birds just love them. They 
gobble them up and then of course like they do they fly off and then they poop out the tallow seeds so they can they can spread pretty quickly thanks to the birds the seeds aren't too picky about where they land and seedlings sprout up really quickly and if left to grow they will crowd out other plants like the slower growing hardwood natives when um, the seeds get into the waterways they can travel really really far and the next thing you know there are chinese travel chinese tallow trees all along the banks and this makes for some really pretty scenery but chinese tallow trees can change the ecology pretty drastically other plants and animals in the original native Texas land, um, landscape and ecosystem, they were either going to have to adapt or more likely they will leave or die when the Chinese tallow trees take over. As I um, drove around Taylor this past week, I noticed some of the leaves starting to change colors and um, you know, just started to see that beautiful burgundy on the Chinese tallow trees, but unfortunately, those trees that I've started to notice already, they are the best looking ones. And of course, they were along little creeks that run all through town. So I am sure there are tons of Chinese tallow trees downstream. Controlling the spread of Chinese tallow tallow isn't easy especially because they put out so so many seeds but removing the seedlings early is one of the best things that you can do chinese tallows are considered short-lived trees with a lifespan of just 40 years they drop limbs all the time and they suffer storm damage because they are softwood trees so if you happen to have a chinese tallow at your house you should make sure they're not going to grow too close to your house because of their tendency to drop limbs and they're so fast growing that they could actually damage your house so if you have the opportunity to remove a chinese tallow just go ahead and do it texas ecosystems <laughs> will appreciate you for it but i know cutting down a tree isn't always practical it's expensive and it's uh you know it's a lot of effort to remove a full-grown tree so you probably just need to plan for that really the best thing that you can do is to never intentionally plant one and now that we know how awful and invasive they are don't do it don't plant them and definitely discourage others from planting them you are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music all coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, Head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Host Podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, 
download some episodes and go ahead, just go ahead, leave a review. This is going to help others find the show and downloading the Plow and Hose episodes also helps provide me with some show statistics. All right, let's get back to that fall foliage and shit trees. Okay, maybe not shit trees, but there are some great alternatives to Chinese tallow that really are great because they don't wreak havoc in our landscapes and they don't mess up the um, ecology. So if you're wanting ornamental trees, check out red buds. Eastern, Mexican, and Texas red buds all do really well in Central Texas. You get lovely magenta flowers in the spring, and they have a really nice heart-shaped leaf. If you really, really like those burgundy leaves, check out Eastern Red Buds because they become, or they come in a few varieties that have that dark purple foliage. A couple of varieties are Forest Pansy and Merlot. Another alternative to um, Chinese tallow, Cedar Elms. They are also a fairly fast-growing native tree, and they get to be about the same height as Chinese tallow. You could also consider box elder and red mulberries as substitutes, too. If you do put in those mulberries, you're going to get a nice tree, but you're also going to get edible fruits that are really quite tasty. But if you're wanting something that gives you more vibrant fall colors check out big tooth maple sweet gum chinese pistache and crepe myrtles the crepe myrtles um have kind of caught my eye this week because the ones that i pass on my daily drive from work are really getting to be beautiful right now the ones outside my office window are just so pretty and colorful and vibrant right now they are saturated with all the shades of yellow and red and orange and it's almost like technicolor i think crepe myrtles are great trees they are really one of the most interesting trees, in my opinion, and there's always something going on with them just every single season. They have nice glossy leaves in the spring. They bloom in the summertime, and they just come in all kinds of colors, and whites, and reds, and lavender, and purple, plus all the shades of pink, from pale baby pink to hot pink. Crepe myrtles are trees, but they do come in as many different sizes as they do different colors. They range in size from dwarf trees that don't get taller than five feet tall and they look more like shrubs to taller trees that can get up to 50 feet tall. And there's also an intermediate size that only gets to be 12 feet tall or so. So while you are out shopping for new crepe myrtles, just pay attention to the tag and the variety because you don't want to get the wrong size for your space. 
fall is a really great time to plant trees and shrubs so take advantage of this great weather and get some new plants in the ground so even though we've had some great temperatures lately and you might be itching to do some yard work you might be tempted to do some pruning on your crepe myrtles, especially as the leaves start to drop and the branches get bare. But don't. Just wait until the spring. You don't want to prune or fertilize your crepe myrtles in the fall. What we want is for them to go dormant in the winter so that we can have vigorous plants in the spring when they put on new growth. Fertilizing and pruning now is just going to stimulate them when they need to be resting. But if you want to do something, you can mulch your crepe myrtles um, after the leaves drop. And this is going to help protect their roots and maintain even, uh, maintain even moisture through the colder weather. Crepe metal trunks are really cool too. They kind of remind me of cinnamon sticks. I really like the way the bark sheds and it peels and the and it just leaves behind like a really interesting mottled pattern on the trunks. That is a little unnerving because you know we spend most of our time looking at trees and uh, normally, bark peeling off of a tree is usually a really bad sign, but for crepe myrtles, it's cool. That's just what they do. When they start shedding bark, it's usually a good sign that they will be blooming soon. The thin bark will start to, to curl and then pull away from the trunk and then it falls off. They will always shed last year's bark in the summer right before um, they bloom. The old weathered and gray bark just peels off and falls off and it's going to reveal a rich and warm rusty color of new growth underneath. And I think that that's really cool and I think it's really pretty too. Now I do remember um, a few years ago I was watching a gardening show on TV and the host was just totally gushing about the pattern of the crepe myrtle trunks. And at the time, I was just thought he was kind of being weird. But while I was kind of looking up information on crepe myrtles, I stumbled on, I don't know, several gardening blogs where people were just gushing about the fabulous bark patterns and taking pictures and stuff so apparently getting super excited about crepe myrtle bark is a real thing I didn't know that <laughs> I am more of a hey that's cool kind of girl when it comes to uh, crepe myrtle bark but I don't know I think I'm gonna have to up my enthusiasm um, and get a little more excited when it happens next summer so I don't know for all y'all who are my friends I might be calling y'all and saying all right the crepe myrtles are peeling I think y'all ought to come over I'm gonna make some snacks we'll have some drinks just come on over it'll be fun I don't know it might be fun we could all do it it could be a new thing. 
crepe myrtle bark peeling parties. Think about it. I had a really kind of busy weekend. And one of the things that I did this weekend was attend the City of Taylor's Arbor Day planting event at Murphy Park. Um, Arbor Day is an annual event that the city hosts and they plant new trees around town. And I am a member of the city's tree advisory board and Arbor Day tree planting is like our main public activity for the year. And each year we pick um, one of the city owned public spaces, usually one of the parks, and we plant like 10 to 12 native trees. Over the years, um, I have helped planted trees at Murphy Park, the Doak Fields, Robinson Park, Taylor Regional Park, and then there at the football stadium at Murphy Park. I love it. I, I, I do like it. I enjoy myself. I, it's just one of my things, I'm planting things and watching them grow. And I don't even care if they aren't my trees. I like doing it. This year we planted trees at Memorial Field and let's see, we planted, I think we planted like 10 white crepe myrtles all, um, out there by the track. Um, planted some oak trees and cedar elm and Mexican sycamore. So if you are looking for um, some other tree ideas, you might want to try those. It's a great time of year to plant trees, so you should do that. <sighs> All right, all this talk about fall leaves and the wonderful colors that they give us. But you know what? What is even better about fall foliage is what is left over when the colors fade and the leaves drop. Yep. I'm going to talk about leaf litter now because it's the best thing. So depending on who you talk to, raking leaves is a pretty, is rather polarizing chore. It just seems that people either really hate raking leaves or they love it. I remember being like a kid and my family uh, raking up these huge pile of leaves and then the kids taking turns jumping into the piles. Uh, that was a nice little memory, but lots of folks really enjoy a nice, tidy front lawn, and raking leaves can be a satisfying chore. It's not my favorite chore to do, but I don't mind it too much, especially if I'm going to use those leaves for something like mulch or adding them to my compost pile. Leaves really do make great mulch for flower and vegetable beds, and then up, but also trees and shrubs too. Applying leaf mulch is like adding an extra layer of insulation to your garden, and it's going to help protect your plants by maintaining soil temperatures to keep this uh, um, soil warmer in the winter, but also cooler in the summer. As those leaves break down and decompose, it's going to help improve soil fertility, and that's going to reduce the need for extra fertilizer. Leaf mulch 
helps keep soil moist too, so you won't need to water as much. Leaf mulch also helps suppress weeds. A nice thick layer of any mulch will help keep weeds down. So that means less work and fewer weeds. So you won't be tempted to use expensive chemical herbicides in your garden either. Gardening can be expensive. You have all kinds of expenses. I mean, you have plants and tools and soil products and pots and of course water, but all of these leaves that are dropping in your yard every single year are free. The only thing you need to spend is just a little bit of your time to rake them up. If you don't want to use leaves for mulch or you don't need them for your compost pile, you can always just leave them in your lawn. Just mow over them. The smaller particles will break down quickly and feed your lawn and all those nutrients from the leaves is going to feed the soil microbes and make your soil healthy. So healthy soil means healthy lawns. So just leave them. Don't worry about it. Personally, I think bagging leaves is just a complete waste. To me, it's a waste of time, a waste of energy, a waste of resources. People put bags and bags of raked leaves out of the curb and then the garbage trucks come around and they haul off all those leaves and take them off to the landfill and it's so unnecessary. I mean, our landfills around here are just filling up so quickly. I mean, you just go out to the Williamson County dump out there on Chandler Road in Hutto and you will definitely see how massive our landfill is getting and it's one of my pet peeves. I just hate seeing compostable material going to the landfill where it's not going to do any good because landfills are anaerobic environments. They don't have oxygen. They put garbage in a hole and then they cover it up with more garbage. They lack air. And oxygen is essential for decomposition. So natural materials like leaves and grass clippings and kitchen scraps they decompose really quickly in oxygenated environments where they have access to air and water. If you have a home com compost pile, you can keep all of that yard waste and even kitchen waste out, out of the landfill and turn it into wonderful compost for your garden and your lawn and your plants. And... It's going to save space in our landfill, so keep the leaves out of the landfill. You know, use all of those free leaves. Use them as mulch, or you can make a pile next to your, um, your compost pile of nothing but leaves, because compost piles need both brown and green plant material to break down efficiently, and by storing some leaves next to your compost pile, you'll have really convenient access to brown material, which is actually kind of hard to come by in the summertime. So rake them up. If you've got to rake them, keep them. Just put them out there by your compost pile. All right. I really could just keep on talking about plants with y'all, but my time is up. Thank you so much for joining me in my backyard.
I hope you have a wonderful and productive week. I'm going to go try to be productive myself because I've got just a ton of chores I got to finish. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.